A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and we take the opportunity to remind you about this farm sale going on, the YU's farm sale up in the Heights. If you haven't gotten your pile of farm and great books yet, you should go now. Um, a couple of listeners already sent feedback about the great books that they found and gotten, so enjoy. Enjoy books is a man's best friend. So um, go for it. Tonight we're going to speak a little bit about um, Riminov. This week uh, everyone was involved, in, uh, most people anyway, in the uh, famous, uh, recently became popular, the Sgula of Mendela of Riminov, of uh, reciting the Parsha Haman. And, um, you know, just reminded me that if so many people are doing it, then maybe we should also know a little bit about who the person was um, who originated it. Um, it's interesting, about a year ago I was in Yerushalayim for Shabbos, or family, uh, um, something or another, and um, I met I met an older Jew in the shul, and I like older Jews, and I like schmoozing with them, so I went over to him. Turns out he's a survivor and showed me the number on his arm. And I asked him where he was from, and he says, Riminov. I said, wow, that's that's pretty impressive. Like, what can you tell me about growing up in Riminov? I read so much about the place. I've been there quite a few times with groups, but I've never actually met a Jew originating from Riminov. And he said that uh, until before the war, the shtibul, the base medrash of Riminov, of Riminov, was still standing in the town. Uh, his bar mitzvah took place right before the war, but he davened in a different shul. There's always has to be, you know, the other shul. Uh, but he grew up in a chesidish home, and um, and you know that was their pride that they were uh, in the town of Mendel of Rimenov. So it was interesting to meet someone who actually was from there. Rimenov is always a popular stop on our trips. It's part of this the Galicia uh, route where we go to. Dinner to the Bnei Sassar, Tetzans, the Rechaim. If we're on our way down into Hungary, we stop in Rimenov. It's a special place. Remendel of Rimenov was known for his davening, for his tefillah, and uh, also for the 22 years that he said his 
expounded on the Parshas Haman and on the explanations and ideas surrounding the Parnassa and Parshas Haman and bringing Parnassa and Gashmias to the Jewish people. Um, and he attached much importance to that. 22 years is a long time to be stuck on the same parsha. It's, it's, uh, it's, it means, you know, he attached a lot of importance to it. It happens to be that both his names, Menachem and Mendel, and his town, Rimenov, all had that, um, that, uh, as part of, as part of their, uh, as part, as in their, in, in, in the Mem and the Nun of, of Mun. Um, he, he uh, was one of the four great Talmidim of the Rebbe of Meilach, along with the Chayza of Lublin, the um, Kajnitzer Magid, the Apterov, and Remendel of Rimenov. And Remendel of Rimenov was one of the main ones because he's the only one of the four that actually remained in the center of Galicia, not far from Lezhensk. Um, Lublin is further north in Poland, Kajnitz is outside of Warsaw, it's really Poland, and the Apterov. Uh, shortly afterwards moved to Mezhebizh, uh, the place of the Baal Shem Tov, where he's buried. And Remendel stayed in the area, and he was the almost like the the big Rebbe in, in the big Tzaddik in Galicia. Many, many Hasidim came to him, and he justified the amount of Hasidim. He said, I, I think that qual- quantity is important, because if we focus just on quality, then I would have very, very few Hasidim, because the demands of being a true and pure Hasid are very very high, and therefore it's good to have uh, it's good to have a lot of chasidim to have a large uh, large large crowds coming. And this way, there are some people to work with, and some people who are just coming along for the experience, for a bracha, for fun, for whatever they're coming for. But um, but you get to filter them through when when a lot of them are coming. And he's talking; it's reflective of the fact that in his generation, as opposed to when he grew up. Um, the Hasidus was a, was spreading to become a mass movement, and there are similar uh, ideas expressed by the Chayz of Lublin and in his court. And uh, and what do you do when it becomes a mass movement? What do you do when it becomes populist? And the demands of the of the avoid of of Hasidus become great. And uh, and how do we how do you how do you deal with that once it becomes a mass movement? Now, remember of of Rimenov, um was. The was very, was very, you know, he was an extremist, very conservative. He 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 wrote interesting. One of the first rabbis to do that wrote takonas, wrote decrees in his town. He was the rav. He was actually a rabbi, not just a rabbi, not just a tzaddik. He was the rabbi of the town first for many years in Frischtek, where his wife was from, uh, not far, and then later in in Riminov. And he made takanas of for the tznius, the level of tznius in town. He was very anti-modernist, also one of the first rabbis. He pioneered a lot of features of Hasidus that became mainstream, that became dominant, and, and to a certain extent um, signify Hasidus till today. Um, the idea of being ultra-conservative, of being um, a bit extreme, a bit machmir, um, but anti-modernist, anti-the Haskalah, he was really the first one. Until then, uh, Hasidus had been, uh, um, you know, not not directly addressing those issues to a certain extent. Um, they were they were themselves the I wouldn't call them not revolutionary, but um, but um, you know, the ones who were not not the mainstream establishment. 
and Ramendel of Rimenev signified a, a turn in that, in, uh, in that he was very conservative, very kind of like the father of Galicia and Hungarian Hasidus, who took on uh, many of those features. He was he was a he lived in poverty his entire life. He gave away his salary and things that the Hasidim gave to him all to uh, tzedakah. Did not live like a flashy, uh, uh, fancy lifestyle. He also, as the rabbi, first in Frishtak and then later in Rimenov, he was was extremely uh, uh, stringent about weights and measures. And he used to send his gaboyim and his helpers and attendants out once a month to check all the weights and measures in all the stores in the town in Rimenov and find and make sure that they're all okay. And uh, there were stories of conflict that he had with uh, store owners who were not so excited about him uh, getting involved in that, but he wouldn't back down. There's also a, a legend in, in Hasidus, but who knows if it's true, but it definitely is characteristic of Mendel of Rimenov, is that at one point he was meeting with a few other tzaddikim in Lansut, and they were arrested on some trumped-up charge, and they were brought before a judge, and and the judge uh, asked them, what do you guys do? This is at a time when there were arrests of Hasidim, the government was suspicious, it was on and off, it's hard to know what year it was, it could be that it was during the uh, Napoleonic Wars, it could be that it was even earlier, and uh, and it was and it was as a result of of the misnagdim, or it could be that it was just an anti-Semitic affair. Again, if the exact story happened as uh, as we're relating it, um, whether it was or isn't, it's not important. The Hasidic Shemaisa is important for its lesson, not for its historical credibility. And he, the judge, the non-Jewish judge, asked Ramendel and his friends. Other tzaddikim, he said, what are, you, what are you people, what are you people, what do you do? What are you all about? So he said, we are people who serve Hashem. That was his answer. What we do is we serve Hashem. We're oivdei Hashem. So the judge said, okay, but that seems to be what most Jews claim to do, but you, meaning the tzaddikim, you wear white. In the early years of Hasidus, the, the rebbes wore white silk robes. And so why do you wear white? So he says to him, why do you wear black? The judges in Poland, the Poland in, in that time wore black. So he said, what kind? He starts yelling at him. He says, answer my question. What are you, you're, you're the one asking the questions. What are you, why are you asking me questions back? I asked you a question. Give me an answer. And Ramenda looks right back at him. And as if he's talking and scolding his child, he says to the judge, if you yell, I'm not going to answer you at all. So stop yelling. He was totally fearless and totally kept his equilibrium. And the, and the judge backs down and he says, okay, I'm not, I'm not starting up with these people. They're totally uh, fearless. He was very, very close to his friends from the Rebbe of Milech, the Kajun Tzimag, the Chayzid Lublin, and others. And when asked to define what true Hasidus is, he said, very interesting answer. And he said, to me, true Hasidus means learning and studying Torah Be'iyun in depth. That's what true Hasidus means. And one time the Chayz of Lublin asked him, do you have Hasidim? And he says, yes, I do have Hasidim. And the Chayz of Lublin said, how do you know you have Hasidim? And he said, because when I go into the base Medrash in Rimenov, I see the people who follow me and they're studying Gemara with Taisvis, Be'iyan, in depth. So that means I have Hasidim. So the Chayz of Lublin said, if that's true, 
then you do have Hasidim. So that's, uh, that's also something about his uh, philosophy. And he did say that he, he is disturbed by the trend where there, there's a lot of uh, riffraff coming into the Hasidic court who they're not very serious about their Yiddishkeit all year round. They do whatever they want. They party, they drink, they, they live very simple lives, a mediocre Yiddishkeit. And then they come to the Rebbe, they give him some money, and they expect him to do a kapara for them, that he's going to, you know, to atone for all their sins, like a, something like a, you know, like a Catholic confession. He said, that's not how it works, and he gave a, an amazing mushal, Remendel of Rimen of Mushal. He said, there was once a Jew who owned a tavern, was a common mushal in those days, parable. And there was a, a watchman, a forest watchman, I guess like a park ranger of those days, who was told who used to come and you know buy drinks from him because this this tavern was at the edge of the forest so the forest ranger would uh would come to buy drinks there and at one point there the forest ranger was alerted to the fact by some travelers that there was a bear that was loose in the forest so he went to hunt hunt it so it shouldn't uh, it shouldn't uh, endanger people and he went in with his gun and he looked for it and he couldn't find it and every time he got bored of searching he came to drink by the Jew. He didn't have a lot of money, this ranger. So he would buy all his alcohol on credit. And he said, you know something, I'm going to eventually get this bear. And once I kill it, you know, it's my prize. I'll sell the skin. I'll sell the fur. I'll make a fortune of money. And I'll pay you back for all the alcohol. Great idea. Okay, fine. The day came and the bear was spotted. And he comes into the tavern and he says, I'm getting ready to shoot this bear. But I'm very nervous. I need some alcohol before I go before I go hunt the bear. Not only that, but I need you to help me uh, uh, spot it. So you go. You first we'll do the alcohol. We'll take care of that and the vodka, and then we're going to go into the forest together. He tells the Jewish tavern keeper, "Go up on the tree, and you tell me where it's being spotted, and I'll shoot." So he directs him. The guy shoots, but being that he had drank a little too much, he missed. But because of the noise and the bullets, the bear came lunging at this hunter, who immediately froze, he falls to the floor, excuse me, freezes, and plays dead, which I guess is a common tactic uh, to not have the bear kill you. The bear comes up, sniffs, looks like he's already dead, so the bear leaves. The Jew is enjoying the whole scene, so he comes down and he says, tell me something, I saw the bear, the bear leaned over you, what did he whisper in your ear? Uh, when he was there, it seemed like he told you something. And the forest ranger says, I'll tell you what, exactly what the bear said. He said, don't buy alcohol based on the profits from a skin that's not yours yet. And he said, and that's the, that's the parable. And he said that to the Hasidim who were coming to him. He said, you do things throughout the year. You're buying your alcohol based on skin that you think you're going to be able to sell a profit, you might not be able to sell that profit. In other words, don't rely on that. That's not going to be your easy way out. Um, he, another, another way to show his practicality, he was a very, very deeply spiritual and inspirational person. And his Hasidim very often come for Shabbos to be inspired by him, Shalashidis, by the Rebbe. And uh, one time he spoke about Ruchnius and about the spiritual world and this and, and godliness in the world and to such an extent that Sunday morning the businessmen who had been there for Shabbos, the Balabatim, they stayed a Sunday morning in the base medicine room and were learning. And he went into the base medicine and he said, What are you guys doing here? 
And they said, we were so inspired by what you said. We said, forget about work. Forget about Elam Haza. We, we, we were very inspired by what you said yesterday. We're going to sit and, and retain the spirituality and the high by staying in Riminav during the week as well. And he said, no, 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 no. Shalashudis, That's something for Shalashudis. That's when we're in the spiritual world. And that's something that you can, you can gain to recharge your batteries. But during the week, we're in the regular world. Then you go back to work, go get your job, and go continue. So um, he, he had that uh, practical side to him uh, as well. Now, interesting, he, he, um, he went, he, like I said, he had no, never had money in the house. His, um, he gave away all, all, everything he had. And one time on uh, Thursday afternoon, the Rebetzin of Remendola did not have any, anything to cook for Shabbos. So she asked, Another fellow who we're going to meet in a minute, we're going to speak about him also, Reb Hirsch Mishares, Reb Tzvi Hirsch, who was the helper, the attendant, the legendary attendant of Remendela. And the reason he was so legendary is because he's the only attendant, Gabai Mishares, in the history of Hasidus, that upon the Rebbe's passing, he succeeded him as Rebbe. He wasn't just a Mishares, he was a huge tzaddik, and he became the Rebbe in Rimina, Reb Hirsch of Rimina. But at that time, he's still the Mishares, he's still... The helper. So the Rebbe says, go into the Rebbe and ask him what we should do. We don't have any food for Shabbos. So he goes into the Rebbe. And the, the Rebbe is sitting there. Remendel is sitting there. And it's everything is, he's learning. He's davening. He's everything so holy and pure. He can't bring himself to go ahead and disturb him. So he goes out. Thursday night, the Rebbe says, look, you got to go disturb the Rebbe. It's not, it's not really, we, can, we don't have food for Shabbos. He goes in again. And sure enough, he can't bring himself to disturb the Rebbe who's in such a dvekas who's so connected, he doesn't do it. The next morning already, is getting pretty desperate, so this time when the Rebison tells him to go in and discuss with the Rebbe what to do, he goes in and he says, this time I'm going to do something. Before he could open his mouth, Remendel says to him, please go back to the kitchen with the Rebison Reb- and take the fish pot, put in some water, and put it on the fire. And take the meat pot and put in some water and put it on the fire. He said, Rebbe, there's no food. So Remendel says, it doesn't make a difference. And it also happens to be from uh, this week's parsha, ironically. And he says, it says, on, the, on, on Erev Shabbos, on Friday, the mitzvah is, v'hochinu you have a mitzvah to prepare for Shabbos. It doesn't say that you have to have food. It doesn't say that you have to, you have a mitzvah to prepare. Right now we're preparing. We're doing the mitzvah of preparing for Shabbos with whatever we have. Go ahead and do it. That's the mitzvah we have to do. And Hashem will take care of the rest. Sure enough, a few minutes later, someone knocked on the door, and um, and said um, and said uh, and said, "Can I stay by the rabbi for Shabbos? Who are you? I'm a villager. I um, I was I'm, I'm on my way, and I got ended up here for Shabbos, and I decided if I'm in Rimina for Shabbos, maybe I'll have the privilege of staying by the rabbi. I I didn't want to impose on the rabbi." So I brought my own food from the village that I'll have what to eat. I shouldn't impose on the Rebbe. But I happened to bring a lot of food, a lot of, lot of extra food. So you're more than welcome to share in all the food I have, and there's more than enough for me here. So um, if you just allow me to stay by, you have the privilege to stay by the great Sadiq Remendala for Shabbos. Remendala for sure invites him in. And there they had their food for Shabbos. 
So there you have it, a moifus from the Rebbe Ramendel. But it's not just about a moifus, not a mer- not just about a miracle. There's once a pogrom on Friday in Remenov, and uh, people didn't come to shul. They're scared. There were soldiers in the streets. There was threats of a pogrom, and they were ba- barricaded into their homes. And Ramendel went to shul, and he got up and and he said the the. Perak of Tehillim, Kuf Mem Dalid, which is about soldiers and uh, um, war, and I forget the what the whole Perak is about. I don't know Tehillim that well. And when he davened, the soldiers eventually left, and that became eventually the custom in Riminov to actually every Friday before Mincha to say Perak Kuf Mem Dalid. I don't know if anyone keeps that custom till today, but that was the custom of Mendel Riminov. I guess maybe just like Parsha Zaman, but this I don't know if it got it caught on as much. And over here you see how it's not just that the Rebbe, who is a tzaddik, is capable of performing miracles, which they were. It's more than that. It's that they had a power of davening, and their tefillah, their prayers, had an effect. They were able to daven better and more than regular people, because they were holy people. So it's also about the the davening, and not just about the fact that they were able to uh, produce miracles. When he dies, he gives an order to his kids and to his chassidim that his mesharis, his helper, his attendant, his gabai, Reb Hirsch, should become the next Rebbe, which was so odd. He's an attendant. Reb Tzvi Hirsch HaKoyen, he was actually a Koyen, and he, even though, he, despite the fact that he was a Koyen, he would go into Reb Mendel's grave, to Kever, to Davin, even though he was a Koyen, Kever of a Tzadik, of his Rebbe, whatever his that was, but he did it. And and he was a very holy individual, a big tzaddik. But it was a huge controversy when that happened. And that even though Remendel's son deferred to him, but Derbersh himself didn't want to do it. There was a a, um, um, a a delay in him becoming the tzaddik. First, he he uh, he went a stint to the Rupshitzer, Naftali of Rupshitz, and then he went back to Remendel and became the tzaddik and the leader. And many others at the time were not happy with this. It caused a great controversy in the Hasidic world. As it happens, the idea of dynastical uh, uh, succession of father to son was not completely solidified by 1815 when Remendel of died. And it didn't have to be that a son became the Rebbe. That was solidified as the 19th century progressed, which is a huge story in the history of Hasidus altogether, which I'm not going to get into now. But even when it wasn't the son, it was a primary Talmud, a student of his who was famous, and here it was the attendant, the Gabai. And and people uh, took a while to realize how great this person was, but it was a huge controversy. People were not happy about it. He had a simple background. He grew up as an orphan. He lived in Tarnov. One time when he was in Tarnov, he was exposed to Hasidus, and he walked out of the town, and he took uh, the first wagon, you know, Balagola wagon driver, which was the taxi in those days, and he said, take me to Frishtak, where the Rebbe of Mendel was at the time, before he moved to Rimenov, and when he got off the wagon, the wagon driver said to him, we have reached your stop, this is your place. And Rebbe Hirsch Misharis, you know, and a big idea in Hasidus also is to take the simple things in life and give them meaning, and he said, this is, this is, he's really saying something powerful here, this is my place, he got close with Remendel of Rimenov, he became his helper, and uh, and uh, he's the one who took over. His main avaida, his main uh, his main main you know thing that he was known for was very, actually similar to the to his Rebbe Remendel was 
tefillah, davening. Remendel was, was himself was the Baal tefillah, the, the chazan by the Rebbe Ramaylech, by his Rebbe. And, uh, and the Rebbe Hirsch Misharis was a tremendous, uh, davener, I guess we'll call it. And he once asked, uh, he once asked Remendela, he said, um, I try to have the simple meaning of the words in mind. The kavana that I have is the pirish, I try to have is the pirish hamilois, the simple meaning of the words. And what happens instead is that in front of my eyes come all these letters which are the kavanas of the Arizal, the big Kabbalistic and mystical meanings in the, in the davening. And I, I don't want it. I want the simple meaning of the word. Ramendala said to him, the simple meaning of the word, that's such a high level that who knows if you'll ever reach that level. You're holding by the level of Kavana of the Arizal. But the simple meaning of the word, that's the highest level. Now that is a, a, the epitome of a Hasidish story. That the simple is the greatest. The simple is the holiest. And the Rebbe Hirsch has actually composed some songs, which are still sung till today. And, um, and he said the main thing is the heart, to tefillah, to, to pour out your heart to Hashem. And that was also a characteristic in general of the Galicia Hasidus as opposed to other uh, areas. In fact, Shabbos Shira, this week, this Shabbos, so it's very apropos. We had Parsha Saman for a Mendel. We have a story about Shabbos Shira for Rebbe Hirsch When he would daven, the Shira Sayam, the Az Yashir, the Shabbos Shira in Rimenov, Rebbe Hirsch, when he was the Rebbe, he got so animated and there was so much his Slavus and so much excitement and so into reciting the Shira and 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 the intensity and the outpouring of, of emotion and power that he went through the Shira. So we know that Shabbos Shira is always smack in the middle of the winter. It's February now. And in Galicia it was freezing cold. It was freezing cold. The windows were sealed shut. And even with the coal oven burning in the this little shtibel, it was still freezing cold. And he got so warm and hot and sweaty from what he was saying, Shira, that he had the windows of the shtibel open. And they said that even with the windows open, it was still warm. The warmth of getting so involved in the davening, again, that's not a moifus, it's not a miracle, it's just getting really into the davening, into the shira, that it just it warmed it up. He, he had a tragic life, he lost a lot of his children, he lost two of his wives, his first and second wife, his third wife outlived him, and she ended up marrying Rabbi Stroll of Rizim. So she got two good shaduchim, and... Um, he, like his Rebbe, also gave all his money to Tzedakah. In fact, the Divrechaim of Tzans, who was very famous for his distribution of money to poor people, he was once asked by his son, Rebaruch of Garlitz, if he could have money. His, his son came to him to ask him for financial support to marry off his daughter. And the Divrechaim said, I don't have any money. And a short while later, some Hasidim came to the Divrechaim of Tzans and Gave him a pidyon, gave him money uh, for for to get their bracha, whatever it was. And the baruch of garlitz was was uh, was very excited. Now his father's going to give him some money, and instead, or Chaim gave it to another poor person, and he came crying to his father. He said, "Am I any worse than your chasidim? Why can't I get supported?" So he said, "What can I do? This person has a bunch of older daughters, and I guess it was like a shidduch crisis in sons or something, and I had to support him." You, you're a famous guy. You're the son of the Divrei Chaim. You can find other people to, who will help you out. 
But this poor guy, no one else is going to support him. And if I don't do it, then no one will. And he said to his son, let me tell you something. I learned how to give tzedakah from a Hirsh Mesharis. And the way he gave tzedakah was so giving until he was left with literally nothing that every time I have some money, I feel like, what would a Hirsh Mesharis have done? He would happily have given it away. And that's what pushes me all the time to give it. So he ended up being a symbol of how to give tzedakah. So that's a little bit about Rimenev, the glory of Rimenev, and the influence that they had on Hasidus throughout the generations till this very day. This was Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and of course, tours and trips to Rimenev and all other places of Jewish history. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.